Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? Um, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing some football uh, for once. It's, it's, it's been ages, um, so yeah, that's to look forward to. And, and, and I just want to go out. I just want to say on record, um, I, I mentioned my lad on Sunday's show, and I've had some contact from some of our listeners, and I, I was in tears at times. Oh. You know, oh, the, no. the kindness and the support that's been offered um, has, has really. It's it, it really taken me to the heart. So, so you know who you are, and I'd just like to say from me a huge thank you, and on behalf of Alex a big thank you as well. And we we hope to be in touch. Oh, you'll you'll start me off now, as as you know. I've, I came back from my mother-in-law's funeral in Birmingham today, so I'm a bit edgy myself. Can you see? Uh, but not as edgy as Ali was when we were on the way to the uh, <laughs> cemetery behind the coffin. Uh, six of us in the family hearse or car or whatever they call it and it turns out the driver was a West Brom fan and uh, asked if this was the right time to have a chat about their finances which (laughs) Ed and I didn't see any problem with that but uh, apparently Ali wasn't best pleased (laughs) she said if this conversation hasn't stopped by the time we pull up at the church door there's going to be problems all round I'm just trying to lighten the mood darling (laughs) <laughs> Not by talking about football finance. <laughs> it's it's news day, uh, Kieran. Um, yes. And we have good news for some of you. Those of you who went early on Tracy Crouch in the Price of Football Bingo uh, are onto a winner. But unfortunately, it seems rumours abound that she herself could be onto a loser, Kieran. Y- yes, this is a <clears throat> this is a complex and ever changing story. Um, clearly. We have a new prime minister, and the new prime minister has a special advisor, a guy called Jason Steen. Now, some of you um, might say, well, what does Jason do? He's supposed to be a PR guru. Uh, His previous job was he was the advisor to Prince Andrew. (laughs) Um, and, And by all accounts, he was the person who suggested that Prince Andrew goes for that Emily Maitlis interview. Um. So, so that that was, uh, you know, I think the, think the jury's out as to whether Prince Andrew came across as a complete success on that. To, to be fair, um, PR for Prince Andrew is quite a tricky job. Yes, at the best of times, <laughs> it's quite a tricky job. But yeah, I'm I'm sure he's uh, nice and relaxed now. He's gone from the Prince Andrew frying pan into the Liz Truss fire. Yes, um, I, I think it's fair to say he is a free marketeer, um, and uh, he he briefed some journalists. Um, he, you know, it, you know, it, it, the nature of politics is that things are leaked and unleaked and re-leaked and so on. So, so he, he briefed some people, um, and the story was fan-led review, dead in the water. You know, the, the new government believes in small government. It believes in the free market. It believes in uh, self-regulation. And um, when when that was released, I, I think it's fair to say that, yeah, I, I, and I've, I've not spoken to anybody at DCMS and I've not been in contact with Tracy Crouch, but I, I think it's fair to say that they were pretty upset. Um, so that that went down 
badly. And, and when, but when the when the uh, articles were published, um, there was a bit of a backlash. Uh, I think there were some people using social media to say this seems a bit harsh. Mm. I can't remember who those people are. Um, and then, sort of, there was a, there was a fight back. Uh, certainly, some MPs who are Conservative MPs in marginal seats realised that I think on top of the the budget, which again a mixed response um, is the politest way I can describe it. Uh, you've got those well-known left, left lefty people, such as the Bank of England and the IMF, <laughs> saying we, we we don't think we don't think this is a good idea. Of course, they get accused of being bloody communists. Um, but that that's not gone down well. Um, some MPs in marginal seats, you know, the so-called red wall, have realised. Well, if we are seen to be anti-football, by in the sense of if the fan-led review gets completely shelved, then um, the Premier League has won, and you know the Premier League has uh, has not helped itself, in in my opinion. Um, my understanding is the the FA themselves would like to be the independent regulator, which yeah. is not perfect, but it's not imperfect. And also that the, the FA uh, was going to suggest that if the Premier League and the EFL could not reach uh, some form of agreement then the Premier League would be sort of the, the the final arbiter as to what was a fair deal. Um, and the Premier League, because they were confident that Jason Steen was going to uh, give the kibosh to the fan-led review, effectively turned around, gave two fingers to the FA and said, no, we're, 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 we're happy to sit on this. We'll wait. We'll wait. The EFL have got no idea what's going on because nothing's been given to them. So, um, yeah, the Premier League have also been... Well, you know, there's there's an, there's another uh, body called the Institute of Economic Affairs, and and they appear to be sort of the the attack dog, um, sort of parroting the the, the quietly the, the the approach of the uh, the Premier League, you know, deny, delay, discredit the fan led review. Um, they they just look up at Institute of Economic Affairs, Ofcom, and James O'Brien. Um, it's it's a it's an interesting organisation, a, a, a registered charity. Uh, not quite sure where its funding comes from. Uh, but it's all it's all it's all it's all out there in the public domain. So we, so we're not saying anything too rude in, in case uh, producer guys having palpitations. Um, so we we now appear to have a new sports minister, uh, a guy called Stuart Andrew. Um, uh, I think it's fair to say he's he's not a football fan, but he's not anti-football. But you know, I think as we, you'd like as a sports minister, somebody who is effectively going to be, um, you know, keen on keen on football is our national sport. So um, there there have been meetings between Stuart Andrew and some of the people in favour of the fan led review, and my understanding, um, you know, and you know, cards on the table. I I talk to journalists. I talk to people or rather they I don't talk to them I listen to them um that there's been a u-turn on the u-turn so initially I, th- I think you know, we, you know a lot of people have put a hell of a lot of work into the fan-led review into the proposals into the government's initial response um and then for one person to effectively say well, I'm 
not you know, certainly one unelected person say, oh, I'm not keen on it, it ain't going to take place. Um, it looks like Stuart Andrew is a bit more amenable than where he was uh, perhaps uh, yeah, before he was appointed. Um, and I'm hoping that we will see a white paper in autumn. Now, the definition of autumn is fairly loose. Um, but uh, you know, from from the latest noises I'm getting, and I'm not trying to big myself up here. I, I just listen to people. I just you know listen to other conversations. In effect, um, the, the latest that the government is is certainly softening its opposition to the proposals, and we could see something. Clearly, the Labour Party had uh, Gary Neville uh, talk at. Uh, their conference this week. The Labour Party are all in as far as the fan-led review is concerned. Mm. So they have said it; they, they will implement it. Um, I'm not saying that's going to be a vote winner or a vote changer. It's, it's not for me to say so. But um, you know, we, we have the Her, Her Majesty's opposition clearly will be supporting the, the white paper or even trying to, to boost it for all we know. So so that's that's where we are. So yeah, I, I've got to be honest, I was I was pretty depressed at the weekend um but i'm feeling far more positive now <clears throat> well i'm pleased to hear that kieran um i don't like the idea of you being low the the pm's advisor uh jason steen also dropped very heavy hints that the new uh, government um or the new iteration of this government have no interest whatsoever in restricting gambling sponsorship in sport uh, which again is a, a change of direction from Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson, whether he was a sports fan or not, seemed to understand that there were there were there were votes in sport, and certainly you know he he tossed a coin and decided he was against Super League, and was very vocal in his support for the Tracy Crouch fan led review. And also, hmm. initial indications were that he was very keen to see. Uh, if not government forcing it, at least having a word with the Premier League to uh, rein in, in shirt sponsorship from gambling companies, to let, which led us to speculate that probably in the next three years or so that would end. But it seems now that uh, this government have no interest in doing that. So that's uh, something else to keep hmm. an eye on, Kieran. Um, we love a kit story on the price of football, as, as you all know. We love it when kits are in the news, but the one that broke today from Hummel is an amazing story, which I fear may well lead to big financial penalties for them from FIFA down the line. Um, well, I think we have to wait to see on this. Um, Hummel, as you know, I, I, you and I, we both associate Hummel with Denmark, yeah, of course, because it's you know those, those really iconic kits, uh, the the Hummel logo, which has always been an integral part. Of, of a Danish kit. So Hummel today, they, they, they brought out a press release and they say, yeah, th- first of all, they've got a contract. Mm. Yeah, they, they, and uh, yeah, contracts have to be, uh, have to be honoured. So, so that's understandable. And, and whilst before, I, before I forget, uh, yeah, if, if there's ever a man that, that knows about a contract or two, it's our friend Nick DeMarco, and, and we're absolutely delighted to say that that Nick is uh, is coming on the show next week, and uh, he's he's going to answer questions from from listeners. So if you if you've got a question for Nick, uh, if you want to send them in to 
questions at priceoffootball.com. And if you put the heading, Ask Nick, we will uh, we will ask him to answer some of them, as well as have a bit of a chat himself, chat himself with a good man. Um, he's now King's Council, of course, uh, follow, following uh, the the, uh, the death of Her Majesty. Um, but uh, Hummel have I'm a... Sorry, I'm just, just going to interrupt you, for, for, just for some of our listeners who may not be aware who Nick is. Nick, Nick is basically the... Uh, legal equivalent of Kieran, basically. He's uh, just written a book which will probably become the Bible of the law in football, uh, and he's the man who knows more about how the law relates to football uh, and contractual issues and all sorts of stuff. So any questions you have that are around any legal aspect of football, whether it be uh, transfers or, or even the story we're about to discuss now, uh, as Kieran said, price of football uh, questions at priceoffootball.com, uh, brackets or inverted commas, ask Nick. I'm sure there'll be many of them. Sorry, Kieran. Yeah, 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 cool, cool. No, you're absolutely right. Um, so Hummel have have said, we we support the national team. They are proud Den- Danes, and you know, that, that's fantastic. Denmark's a wonderful country. We support the national team, but we shouldn't confuse our support for the tournament, which has cost thousands of lives. So that's a pretty, you know, it's a, yeah, it's a pretty strong statement. And what they've decided to do, uh, and, and that they have they have released the the World Cup kit for Denmark. But the one thing which is noticeable about it is that it's monochrome. Um, so normally you'd have a red shirt with the white chevrons and the white Hummel badge and the and the white Danish badge, and all of that is now just pure red. So you, so you can't distinguish it. Um, that's exactly the same for the the second kit, which is all white. And then they've said um, the color of mourning is black. Mm-hmm. So the Danish third kit. For this tournament in Qatar to represent mourning uh, is is going to be an all black kit again with no logos, no chevrons. Uh, yeah, that will be visible. They'll, they'll be sort of em, em, embedded into, you know, sort of molded into the, the design, but you won't be able to physically see them. Um, so, you know, it's and some people say well, they're not doing enough, but they're doing more than nothing. And and for that, I think it's fair to say they deserve some credit. I think they do, Kieran, but I can't see how FIFA can't respond to it. I mean, for a start off, they refer to the colour as blood red. Um, and basically what their press release goes on to say is that they want their brand to have no visibility whatsoever uh, in Qatar. A World Cup, they say, should not be taking place there where thousands of people have died and where thousands of people are unable to live freely because of their sexuality, uh, religion or political beliefs. And you know what FIFA's record in the past has been like here. I mean, this is, as far as they will be concerned, much as we agree with what Hummel are doing, and it's a wonderful gesture, it really is tarnishing the brand of the World Cup around the country. I mean, every time Denmark games are shown on TV, there will be people asking why the kits are like that. And we know from experience that FIFA don't take kindly to that sort of thing, do they? they, I I agree with you that that FIFA FIFA won't be happy, but... Um, a football kit design is between two parties. It's between the, the the manufacturer and the football association. So, if if the Danish football association have signed off on this blood red kit, then they are entitled to to wear it. You know, um, I, I can't see on on what contractual grounds. And you know, and we are pub lawyers. 
we're the first to appear this. I can't see on what contractual grounds uh, FIFA can uh, oppose. You know, if if uh, if an individual country chooses to uh sorry if an individual company chooses to to voice an opinion that that's they're entitled to do that i know that uh, that harry kane is is going to be wearing an armband which yeah. is is all about inclusivity and again it's it, it's small steps but if it sparks one conversation which leads to one person having a greater bit of understanding then that's better than no conversations i quite agree i do agree um uh, uh, this is a question I think we will put to Nick DeMarco next week, but also the vindictiveness of FIFA does lead me to believe that if they can't punish them financially, they will be getting some really bad VAR decisions, Denmark, and they will be <laughs> they will be bottom of that group somehow and on the plane on the way home as quickly as possible. Some big news, Kieran, back at home. Uh, big news this week for Oxford fans. Yes, Um uh, the, the 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 current owners, or should I say, the previous uh, owner of Oxford United, um, Sumrith Thanakan Janasuth, and I'm only going to say that once. And apologies uh, if I've said that incorrectly. Uh, known as Tiger to his mates, by all accounts, um, he has sold uh, a majority stake uh, in uh, Oxford United. So the club does have new owners. The new owners are uh, Eric Fahir who is uh, Indonesian. Uh, he's an Indonesian minister. He is the former owner of Inter Milan. He's the former owner of DC United in the MLS. Um, he's also involved in the NBA with the Philadelphia 76ers. So he's got experience of sport. Um, there's also somebody called uh, Aninja Bakri. So between them, they got 51%. And 51% is, is always important because... Ultimately, with 51 votes out of 100, you can get get your views across. You, you, you can effectively dictate how a company is organised. So um, you know, I'm sure Oxford United's fans, their, their first question will be, how much money are they going to put into the transfer budget? But I, I don't expect there to be uh, – you know, I, I don't expect Kylian Mbappe to be seen. Uh, you know, popping down to the, uh, the local branch of Greg's uh, just to check it out in, in Oxford with a view to a transfer. Yeah, I, I think there will be, uh, yeah, perhaps the budget might be a wee bit higher. Um, they're also bringing in a new chief executive, uh, if uh, a guy called Tim Williams, who, again, very experienced, into Milan, Manchester United. Uh, he's, he's, he's got to pass the, the, the owners and directors test, but I, I cannot see that being an issue. You know, he, he, sh- he should sail, sail past that with flying colours. So, yeah, a change you know, for a club which doesn't get a lot of publicity, but you, you and I are both old enough to remember when, when Oxford you know, got to Wembley. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you, know, we, uh, you know, John Aldridge, Dean Saunders, you know, they, they, were, they were a pretty decent side uh, for, for a while. So, so you know, it's whenever there's a change at the top, there's there's always excitement, and and, and I think uh, Oxford fans will be intrigued. At the same time, they've had a few fall storms before, so uh, I suspect some of them will be circumspect. But uh, you know, they'll be living in in hope rather than expectation, which is which is which is how all football should be. Yeah, I have to say, Kieran, that given the house prices in Oxford, I think even Kylian Mbappe might struggle <laughs> to buy one outright. Do we know how much uh, these two gentlemen paid to acquire fifty-one percent of Oxford? I, no, no, uh, I've not seen any figures quoted. Um, it does appear to have been a, a private deal. Um, I would, I would imagine the club will be going for around about 
you know, 10 to 12 million, but I, I could be talking out my bottom. Because they, they are a club, Oxford. And we, like you say, that those of, of our generation, I mean, their previous ground was was awful. The new ground looks great. But they are a club, a, a bit like Plymouth, who you, you don't have to take too much of a stretch of the imagination to see them flourishing in the championship and maybe even a season mm-hmm. or two in the in the Premier League. There's a big catchment area there. There's a lot of money in most of the area. There are pockets of economic deprivation in Oxford, but also you know, you've got a huge captive market of students just down the road as well who would be happy yeah. to go and see successful teams. So that, that's one to keep an eye on. Um, we discussed last week, Kieran, following the, the mini-budget, the, the benefits that some of the more wealthy players would get um, and as we stressed, they didn't uh, try to engineer them. They didn't agitate for them, but they've benefited from them. But there's a story, Kieran, about the pay of uh, people at Premier League clubs at the other end of the scale this week. Yes, um, this is uh, this is a report which has effectively come out. This is all in respect of the the real living wage. So the, the government set, say, a minimum wage, and then we have something called the the Real, uh, the real Living Wage Foundation, um, to which some clubs have, have signed up in terms of their commitment. So those clubs are Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool, Brighton, West Ham and Palace. So yep. you know, high fives to all around. Um, I, I believe that Newcastle are planning to join um, and sign up for this, and, and certainly uh, the, the new owners at Newcastle. And again, I'm, I'm not not making any comments positive or negative here. I'm just trying to be, be, be honest. As far as the staff are concerned, the new owners seem to be willing to put more money into yep. people who are at the bottom end. And uh, I, I would applaud that. You know, anybody that helps to lift uh, lift the wages for, for those at the, the bottom end has got to be positive. Um, uh, the, the, the people who have, who have done this investigation – um, they've said whilst they're not members of the foundation, Manchester City, Brentford, Fulham, Leicester, and Wolves are all are paying all staff uh, the real living wage. Again, hats off to them. Um, next, um, and, and I'm a bit, a little bit peeved at this because I, I was contacted by Manchester United last year, and, and I gave them a lot of credit at the time. Um, Manchester United, Southampton, and Arsenal are committing to the real living wage. But for some reason, not not for caterers, cleaners, or stewards, oh. which 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 I find a strange and b disappointing. If Manchester United can afford to pay the shareholders thirty three million pounds in dividends last year when they made record losses, it does seem very harsh that they can't pay their staff ten pounds ninety an hour. Would would their argument be that these are external staff employed through an agency then? Um. Yes, I think I think it would be in relation to some contractors, but um, you know, Spurs have said again, all of our staff we do pay the uh, the real living wage. When it comes to contractors, and this is if this is management speak, a key part of selection is whether or not our contractors pay the real living wage. Well, don't make it a key part of key part of selection. Make it make it mandatory. We yeah. don't give contracts to people unless they commit to the real living wage themselves. That that'd be quite uh quite a simple. So so yeah, and there's a couple of other clubs that are being not particularly responsive. So the majority of clubs, the vast majority of clubs are giving the real living wage to all or a significant number of of their employees. But it does seem 
difficult in the present climate to say, why can't we do this? This is the Premier League. It, it, it is a very successful institution in its own right. Um, it is. It's also different in the EFL. Yeah, you know, we, we we're not. You know, but the wealthy have very little, uh, very little excuse for not committing to this. In my view, what's the difference, Kieran, between the legal living wage and the real living wage? You mentioned ten pound ninety there as the real living wage an hour. Yeah, still, does, still doesn't strike me as a lot of money. But what's the, the legal living wage that has to be paid? Well, the the minimum wage, I think it's around about nine fifty. I've 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 not checked the details, so you know you're you're getting an extra you know ten fifteen percent um, if if you are on the real living wage. And, and as you as you rightly say, um, you know that that doesn't go that doesn't go far when we have fuel inflation, mm. energy inflation, food inflation, um, and, and so on. But uh, you know it has. I know that's increased uh, over the course of the past year, uh, as far as the the real living wage is concerned, and uh, it does offer it, it offers a safety net uh, for those those people because m- many of these jobs are pretty unpleasant. You know, it, I've I've seen the abuse given to people working behind the counters at football grounds from you know blokes who are not happy that it's taken an extra 30 seconds to deliver a couple of pints. Stewards have to put up with a load of old crap. You know, t- clubs clubs should should acknowledge sort of, sort of the, the quite you know, tardy way that they are treated by some fans, you know, the vast majority, I think, as we know, are, are fine. Um, and, and that should be reflected in how these people are being paid. Well, of course it should, because it's it's not their fault for a start. Of the, if any delays are caused by people like you, Kieran, asking for coffee and Haribo, it's just <laughs> that should, it should be illegal to sell anything other than beer, except for when they in the family area where there's kids. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, that difference between the two, you talk, whether you're talking about a pound or one pound fifty or two pound, that's not enough to, that a Premier League football club can't, can't afford to pay. A thousand people on match day that extra money, or the three hundred and fifty-five to five hundred staff that they've got that extra money. It's not. It's not going to break them. So they should be paying it. Their own common sense, PR-wise, should tell them they mm. should be paying this at this at this moment. And I'm, I'm pleased that both our clubs are firmly on that list of people that do pay properly. Uh, big news uh, this week in Scotland, Kieran, and, and good news as well. Well, yes, I, th- I think it's good news, but. I don't think it's universally gone down well. Ah. So the the SPFL have uh, extended their broadcast deal with Sky. It's uh, it's 150 million pounds uh, over five years. Um, it's it means that they're going to broadcast more matches than they do at present. I think it's going to be between 48 to 60. Um, they're also going to allow pay per view for up to five games, for five, five home games, which I think will, will be um, interesting. So it's more money than, than the, the previous deal. Um, the critics of the deal say, well, it's less money than the Scandinavian com- countries are getting. Um, and that, that, that is absolutely true. And, and now we come to sort of you know, an argument between and about numbers. Uh, in, in Scandinavia, every single game is broadcast, so you you do have that that range of choice, um, and it works out as around about one hundred thousand pounds a match. If we take a look at the Scottish deal, 
that the the SPFL have restricted the number of matches which are being broadcast. So therefore, they're making around about £500,000 per match. And the argument that's being put forwards is that as a result of that, as there is a, an element of scarcity, um, attendances in Scotland are unusual, well, not unusually high, but that they are they are high on a relative basis. On a you know, the number of people that attend matches per 100 of population is higher in Scotland than practically everywhere else in Europe. Yeah. And the, the SPFL say, well, that's partly due to the fact that we, we do introduce some scarcity into the market. Um, they're also, uh, Sky are also going to broadcast some, some women's matches. Uh, women's football in Scotland uh, is, is starting to develop more and more. Um, so it means that they're getting more money per match than in uh, in Scandinavia. If we then move on to the Premier League, again, the Premier League doesn't show every match. It shows, you know, it's, it's 200 out of 380 mm. uh, are, are chosen. There's a scarcity factor there. The Premier League probably generates between seven and nine million pounds per match, depending upon the package uh, that the broadcasters have signed up to. So, yeah, it's it's far it's far more lucrative than Scotland, but England's a bigger country, and and the Premier League is a is a more popular product than, than Scottish football, and that's not a criticism of of Scottish football. It's 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 reflected in eyeballs. Um, so it, it is a deal which I think has the the backing of. The vast majority of clubs, I believe Rangers are, however, unhappy about it. Um, but under, I think, the rules, that if you have an 11 to 1 vote uh, from the Premiership, then then things can be signed off. So I, I don't think we're, we, we've finished with regards to this particular deal yet because the nature of Scottish football is, is things are never over. Um, but uh, it, it, does, it does give clubs something to look forward to in terms of well this is what we can expect to budget for from i think it's from 2024 onwards um and uh yeah 2024 is still a long time away uh, those extra pay-per-view games kieran that will be available will they be across the entire league or will they be simply mopping up the very few games that aren't rangers or celtic that are shown live on scottish tv already well, I, I, try, trying to work out how this works is is a little bit difficult. I think it's in, if, if it's individual clubs who can broadcast individual home matches, and each of them can do five. It's not dissimilar right. to what we have um, as far as it, the EFL are concerned, and I follow. So it, it would certainly benefit the larger clubs to a greater extent than it would the smaller. Um, and you know, and that's a separate discussion because we know one of the the, the outstanding issues, as far as uh, some of the, the the dissenting clubs in the EFL are concerned, is that it just increases the gaps between rich and poor, and in doing so, decreases competitiveness. Um, so, it, you know, the small print as always will be um, something worth uh, worth getting your teeth into but uh that, that that's another contract i'll have to take a look at yeah as, as ever i'm going to delegate the small print getting into to <laughs> to you if that's okay i know we normally have these conversations off air but just this one i'll, I'll just let's let's <laughs> i've got i've got a glass of wine waiting so we'll just let's let's just take that as red that you'll do the small yes. print on that one <laughs>
I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. We here have been focusing quite forensically on the, the two big teams in Spain recently and their financial problems. Uh, but it turns out it's not just Spain. One of the biggest clubs in Italy have reported huge financial losses. Yes, uh, this this is Juventus who have, have announced... 254 million euros worth of losses. So, so we commented uh, last week about Manchester United losing 150 million pounds in a year, and, and that was the third biggest in the history of the Premier League. Well, Juventus have just had a hold my beer moment, and uh, this, this far exceeds any losses ever incurred by Premier League clubs. And if you think, you know, what you people say, oh, well, what about, you know, uh, what about Chelsea in the first year of Abramovich or Manchester City in the early years of Mansour? Because there was no financial fair play to mm. have to worry about in, in those times. Well, Juventus have, have just knocked that one into a cocked hat. So uh, they, they've lost over half a billion euro over the course of the last three years. There, there are some mitigating factors some of which uh one could be you can be sympathetic for some some less so um as far as italian football is is concerned i think this is something which we, perhaps we have lost touch with you know last season we just turned up to matches and covid had been forgotten about yeah as far as yeah. attending football was concerned yeah how many people did you see at selhurst who were wearing masks for example you know in uh yeah. you know in the concourses for, yeah, take- for proper for proper COVID reasons, very few. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but when it came to Italy, um, the the government only allowed fifty percent attendance yeah. uh, for a substantial amount of the season. It wasn't until March that clubs were allowed to to uh, be be open to to full attendances. Um, Juventus were knocked out in the last sixteen. Of the Champions League, so so that cost them, you know, or they would be considered to be a a lot of prize money and, and be uh, you know uh, home home match attendances, um, and, and this is perhaps why Juventus are one of those kings who are still very very keen on the Super League because mm. they want money without winning football matches, which is what Super League brought to them. Um, the shareholders have put their hands in the pockets to. To uh, to underwrite those losses um, and also to pay down debt, um, and so they, they've still got seventy million euro in the bank at the start of this season, which which gives them some comfort. Um, and then I was reading sort of you know the small print of Juventus's accounts, and they said that they've they've sold twenty thousand season tickets for for this season. And I was thinking, this is Juventus, yeah, surely surely it'd be doing far more than that. Um, but the, they said that the reason, um, the reason why they've done this, and and this uh, this 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 may appeal to John Lydon, um, because they want to sell money, they want to sell the tickets to tourists, 
And of course, as we know, <gasps> tourists yeah. mean money. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that is that is a way forward. They want the, if if you have a season ticket, yeah, you know, I think my season ticket costs me on average twenty seven quid per match, um, and that includes my travel to the game and back. So, so yeah, yeah it works out at a reasonable price. Um, individual match tickets, you could be playing, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 quid. And, and Juventus feel that uh, by going on, you know, targeting the the individual uh, match match sale, you know, the tourist market, the the walk-up, well, not necessarily walk-up market, but but the, the, the more casual fan, that's more lucrative. And they've deliberately gone down this route of not selling many season tickets, which See, yeah, intuitively seems counterproductive for a, for a company which has just lost two hundred and fifty million. You think they'd want every every uh, euro they could get their hands on? Well, it's also risky, Kieran, in a different way because, as we know, uh, any of us who have been to games there, it's it's not difficult to piss off an Italian football fan. No. <laughs> anyone who's ever sat down in a, a bar or cafe in Italy that's got a picture of an Italian player on the wall, and inevitably you end up talking about football, they're they're quick to anger, Kieran. And so, yes, <laughs> this is really going to piss well. But the other thing, Kieran, which is interesting, I mean, the first part of the the nineties, Italian football was not only the coolest uh, product. Mm. Uh, on the continent, it was Italian clubs that were attracting the, the biggest players that were paying the biggest wages that were winning the tournaments. And now you've got Juventus, the most successful Italian club of recent history, uh, announcing this record financial loss, which doesn't bode well for the rest of them. But what sort of impact does this have on their ability to comply with FFP then? Well, um, we, we spoke about uh, UEFA having a naughty step and Juventus are on it. I think they were one of the clubs that have been fined by UEFA for non-compliance or, or breaching financial fair play limits. Um, and UEFA have also said uh, you can't use COVID as a reason forever. So I think that has been reflected in in the way that Juventus have entered the, the transfer market uh, this season. Yeah, that they've been they've been focusing on. On bargains and and uh, Bosman deals, you know, you know, Paul Pogba's gone back to to Turin, and I think there's 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 a there's a there's a complete separate podcast on on what Paul Pogba's been up to with his family, mm. um, not really to be covered by us uh, 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 since uh, since he's returned. So um, it means that they they're not competitive. Uh, they've had a poor start to the season. Um, I, I, you're talking about angry Italian fans. The the, the coach is, is under a lot of pressure already, um, so we'll we'll have to wait and see. But it it means that they're going to struggle to be competitive because you know, the, the Premier League spent 1.9 billion pounds and uh, Italy spent close to nothing. Yeah, so you've put an idea in producer guy's head now. Just first thing tomorrow morning, you'll be on the phone to Justin Morehouse and Swiss Rambles. Saying, well, I've got this idea for a Paul Pogba podcast uh, I, I have little to no knowledge Kieran of how difficult it is or otherwise to piss off the fans of Mansfield Town uh, but we predicted that this would happen we didn't think it would happen this quickly and we didn't think it would happen to a club this far up the pyramid but they've become the first to ask for a switch of kickoff time uh, in response to the energy crisis yes so um, yep yeah. yeah. so so Mansfield are 
they're, they're going to play their match at Walsall on the 15th of October, kicking off at 1pm instead of 3. Now, yeah, that's going to save them you know, an hour and a half, perhaps two hours of floodlights. Um, and I think it is very much an experiment. I, I, I have spoken to uh, some club owners. I have spoken to some chief executives and try, trying to get their feedback, which I think is, is fair to say they are unconvinced about the merits of, of bringing uh, kickoffs early. Um, so, you know, if, if you think about uh, Accrington Stanley, you know, we, we we did our show at Accrington, um, and it's got an absolutely, you know, for anybody that's not been, the, the new clubhouse is is absolutely fantastic. And if, if, if you're ever looking for an excuse to get to a ground early uh, to, to sink a few pints, Accrington's is a fantastic one. You know, the, the facilities there are, are just amazing. And get, getting to a match at one o'clock and staying for a couple of hours before kickoff is is fantastic. You know, you, you, you feel that it's an appropriate time time window. If you're kicking off at one o'clock, are you going to get there two hours beforehand? The chances are you're not. So from a catering beverage sales perspective, I, I think clubs are going to lose out. Um, we've then got away fans. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's Walsall fans traveling to Mansfield, that's not too far a distance. But if it was... You know, Exeter or you know, Car- Carlisle or you know, clubs sort of uh, who've got long long distances, it, it, it's it's not great at all. You know, fa- fans make huge efforts, and and, you know, and, and we're, we're all experts on weekend rail timetables. Uh, you know, there aren't any uh, sat- uh, trains this Saturday, as we know, but um, there it, it makes things more difficult. So therefore, they could have an impact upon the away attendances and, and away fans tend to spend money at grounds. Um, and, and I was also talking to, to, to somebody in relation to this, say, well, yeah, hold on. Uh, it's, it's eating into Saturday morning. Now, we've got quite a few fans that will be doing morning shifts at, at work and they knock off mm. at midday or they knock off at one o'clock and, and, they, and they, they, come, they either go home or they go straight to the match. They won't be able to do that with a one o'clock kickoff what about kids football? Yeah, there's lots of kids football on a Saturday morning. Again, you know, you, you go along, you you watch, you watch your kids play. Match finishes normally kicks off at ten, finishes at twelve. You rush home, have a have a shower, get get cleaned out, changed, get to the match in time for a three o'clock kickoff. You're not going to be able to do that for a one o'clock kickoff. So, the savings which you'll be making in energy costs could be significantly offset and, and negated by impact a on attendances and b on average spend per punter per match and i, I guess it's unlikely kieran that you will see any premier league teams asking to have early kickoffs will they? no no and, and the well the, the, they won't be able to do that i don't think because it, it might clash with the commitments in respect of the, the broadcasters who have matches which yeah. which you know do you know kickoff times are determined. Remember, the Premier League has sold individual slots, um, but given the, the the huge revenues which are generated by match day fans, um, I, I can't see Premier League clubs wanting to move to adopt this. Mm. Um, it's it's not going to go down well with not just you know domestic broadcasters but also overseas broadcasters. Of course, what some Premier League clubs could do to save on energy bills, and quite a few people have pointed this out, is not have the floodlights on at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon in uh, September. 
it's, it's not it's not a good look, lads. Uh, I'm also starting to wonder, Kieran, whether Tracy Crouch and Accrington Stanley's clubhouse have got you on a little deal where you get a fiver <laughs> every time you mention each of them. You get a little fiver coming your way. Um, bad news for uh, supporters of a club in Northern Ireland this week, Kieran. Yes, we're talking about um, Crusaders FC. Now, Crusaders FC potentially were going to be sold to a Singapore company called Irama Sports in a £2.5 million deal. Um, And that would have given Arama Sports a 70% stake. And it was put to shareholders, and and apparently overwhelmingly, the deal was going to go through. Um, And the deal has, has collapsed. Now, um, in in the local newspaper, it says it's collapsed for tax reasons, but I couldn't read the rest of the article because it was behind a paywall. <laughs> so I was I, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll I'll just take it as read. Um, but uh, we've spoken about Irama Sports before, so um, they they did acquire um, the the grounds. Where uh, Whiteleaf play, yeah, uh, your neck of the woods, yeah. and I, we we don't know what happened next. But Whiteleaf effectively said, "Well, we're not prepared to pay the the new rent," um, and, and they have now been replaced by a team called AFC Whiteleaf, who are playing at that ground. There, there's another club called Abingdon Town who also quit their local league. I think effectively citing we can't afford to play. Uh, yeah, with 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 Arama Sports effectively as the new landlord. Um, so, what 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 is Arama Sports, and why is it getting involved in football, and and what is its link to Ian Rush, who, who appears to be endorsing it, but isn't a director, uh, isn't isn't connected. So so here um, we we enter the world of a gentleman called Parvinder Chopra, who who appears to be uh, in charge. Now, you know, we're, we're living in we're living in 2022. Um, it's it's very unusual for somebody who is supposedly a multimillionaire, if not richer, uh, to have zero photographs of them and zero profile of them, as far as uh, the digital world is concerned. But this does appear to be the case with Mr. Chopra. We know that he owns two yachts, uh, which seem to be based in Malta, which seems strange for somebody um, from you know, from a Singapore base. Um, we know that Arama Sports used to own um, the, the Claremont Hotel in Singapore, um, I, I, if I were you, I, I, if, if you're thinking of booking the Claremont Hotel, um, go, go to TripAdvisor and uh, look at the average mark, which I, I believe is two out of five. Um, and it's uh, some of the photographs uh, suggest that you, you might be sharing your hotel experience with uh, with large numbers of cockroaches. Hmm. Um, it, it did look pretty grim. Um, and I've stayed in the Adelphi in Liverpool, so you know, it, 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 it looked worse than that. And I've, I've, got, I've got my own plaque at the Adelphi for reasons I'm not prepared to discuss. Um, so, uh, yeah, very strange. And also, um, I've, I've got I've, I've got to mention here um, two guys that have done a lot of work: James Cave and, and Martin Calladine. Um, and uh, take a look at Martin's blog called Ugly Game. Um, in in respect of Irama Sports, it's it, it 
does make you feel slightly uncomfortable stroke questioning as to what's the rationale? What was the logic behind buying Crusaders Football Club? And I'm not saying there's anything untoward about it, but there should be, there should always be a positive reason why things are done. And it's, it seems uh, a, a little bit uh, strange and, and uh, yeah, um, I, I think some Crusaders fans were starting to have seller's remorse uh, when it came to agreeing to sell their shares, but the deal has collapsed, and we wait to see, uh, the, uh, you know, about where, where the ownership of that club's going to move. Yeah, I, I, is the Adelphi still there, Kieran? I'm sure it's much improved now, isn't it? Uh, the Adelphi is still there. As somebody that uh, that uh, works in Liverpool and commutes to Liverpool, um, I think I was offered thirty six pounds thirty six pounds a night um, this uh, this week. Because uh, I'm, I'm in Liverpool all five nights, um, and I still decided uh, I wasn't prepared to pay that. And in fact, if they paid me thirty six pounds a night to stay there, I'd have probably turned that down as well. I, I remember the first time I was quite excited. I did a TV show up there, and I was quite excited when I learned I was staying in the Adelphi. As I looked at you know, a grand old Victorian hotel, mm. it's like yeah, a, a hotel with that reputation. You 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 turn up and you book in. And you think I've been in Weatherspoons that haven't got carpets as sticky as this. <laughs> it's like, there's sound effects. It's like a, it's a spider with sucker cups in his feet going across all and in, incredible. Um, it, it does seem, Kieran. I mean, with all due respect to the finances of, of football in Northern Ireland, it, it does seem with Whiteleaf, uh, Abingdon, and now Crusaders that Arama's uh, interest in football clubs is is more in the ground and the location than in the actual football. Then. Um, well, that that was certainly the case with Whiteleaf and Abingdon because the, the, I think they they were property deals. Um, Crusaders did appear to be buying the football club itself, but the fact that it failed because of tax reasons um, does seem rather strange. You know, if you wanted to buy a football club, I thought it would be because you love football, not because mm. of, of of tax consequences. See, if, if producer guy paid us more, we could afford to go behind that paywall, Kieran, and get more details. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, our final news story uh, actually comes via a listener. We always like it when listeners get in touch. We mostly like it when listeners get in touch. We sometimes like it when listeners get in touch. But we did a, a story recently about travel expenses for uh, FC Isle of Man, and we got some really insight from a completely different country altogether, didn't we? Yes, yes. So, um, listener uh, Oli Fugelstadt uh, got in contact with me, um, and he said uh, Norway is uh, is a country with with many islands. So, you know, so you know, we 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 normally just associate Norway with you know, fjords and parrots and actual knowledge of the country. But when when you look at that map, you call it. Yeah, there are lots of islands there. Um, and he says, you know, it's 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 an issue as far as as Norwegian football is concerned. So, um, you know, we, we're aware of what's happening as far as the island man is concerned. You know, eighty percent of their budget is going uh, on transport. We we've spoken to Jersey Bulls, and we will we will we will do our tour. We are still coming to Jersey. We are um, Jersey Bulls. It just involves um, us organising a diary. And given that myself and Kevin between us can't organize what day of the week it is um it, it's actually quite a challenge um so so ollie uh, put it put me in contact with uh, niels uh, niels uh, fiskerjohn 
Um, and, and he was saying that uh, in, in the third and fourth tiers of Nor- Norwegian football, the, the Norwegian FA effectively offers travel help because they want to encourage football between the islands. Um, so therefore, effectively, the clubs appear to put money, they put uh, all put the same amount of money into a central pot, and then that's allocated uh, as, as and when needed uh, to ensure that, that travel costs are not too much of a burden upon uh, an individual Norwegian club in an, indi- in an individual island where it's you know, not always easy to transport to. So it, it is indicative that uh, you know, different countries are taking different approaches. I, I think it is more of a geographically based uh, issue as far as Norway is concerned. And it's, uh, it's good to see that the burden is not on the clubs themselves. Yeah, I, I can only apologise to our Norwegian listeners for, for the fact that we reduced you to fjords and a 1970s Monty Python sketch that gets less funny every time you see it, basically. But, um, uh, there's far more to your country the, than that. Uh, and thank you for the Christmas tree that you send to Trafalgar Square every year. And thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that'd be very kind of you. Please go to patreon.com slash price of football. Our next live show, as you now know, will take place at Plymouth Argyles Home Park on Tuesday, the 13th of December. Some tickets are now available from Plymouth Argyles website. And remember, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And if it's a specific question about the law and football, then put ask Nick in brackets. Or those of you who have been waiting two years to get a question, ask any question and see if we get slipped in by just putting ask Nick. See, see, <laughs> see how much attention producer guys in the meantime i shall hand you over to mr kieran Maguire for his customary farewell uh thanks as always um and of course i'd just like to reiterate the special thanks for the those of you that got in contact uh with regards to uh you know my, my son he's got asperger's it's it, it's no it's no fun for him uh, and and the the sympathy and the kind words were were genuinely touching um so um patreon is one way of supporting the show um the, the other way is to give us a review it's to it's to is to go onto your your app um and if you can give us five stars that's absolutely fantastic only if you think we deserve it of course um it, and by all accounts according to producer guy uh the way that the algorithm works is it is it focuses on the stars and not on the comments um you know and we've we've got uh so we've got a long list of of questions which are unanswered um we've also got a long list of celebrities that we would like to see host the show but um Apparently, uh, the the next hosts of the show are going to be Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield. So um, <laughs> I don't know where they've come from, but uh, yeah, th- these things happen, I guess. Well, I don't know how they're going to manage that, Kieran, because there's a huge queue of celebrities snaking down my road waiting to host this pod. <laughs> I can't imagine any way in which Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield would find themselves at the head of that queue. Imagine, exactly. imagine the outcry if that was to happen. Imagine Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who's definitely on the list, getting really cross at suddenly Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield <laughs> come in to take our place. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football.
that provides some photo ball.